Welcome to Bentry, all of you here in the room in Carrollton and all of you worshiping online with us. We are grateful that you are here. In fact, can we on in the room welcome those who are online, those who are first time visiting with us. We love the fact that you are here. We're grateful for you. That video you just saw were members of our church serving in various capacity, using their gifts, their talents, their passions to serve in ministry right here at Bentry. And it's an amazing thing because it takes hundreds of people serving week in and week out to continue the vision and mission of our church here and around the world. So in fact, last Sunday, right after this service, we had Lunch and Learn where new servants came and joined and were taught and equipped on how to serve in ministry here at Bentry. And we have many more who are signed up for today, a free lunch right after the service. And if God is tugging at your heart to serve in ministry, even on online, come join us in person for lunch and, and learn how you can serve. And those in this room, you can join us right after the sermon for a free meal, so there's our gift to you, uh, for an exchange of time to learn how you can be a part of ministry here at Bentree. As Matt and Deidre were saying, I'm so grateful for the unity on our board for the next season of leadership from our board over our church. And we have an amazing team full of God's spirit, full of Christ's message, his love to share with the world. And they have just led this body of believers in an amazing way. In fact, can we thank all of our elders for all that they do to serve Christ and his church. I'll invite you to continue to worship God in your financial generosity, whether online, in person, on the app, or through the giving boxes as you leave. Your giving is just as much worship as our singing, as anything else we do, because it is trusting God with the treasures that he has given you. It is giving back a portion of all that he's given you so that we can make Jesus known in our city and all around the world. So thank you for continually investing and being generous with your giving. We invite you to be weekly or monthly in the habit of financially supporting what God is doing here at Bentry. Last week, I talked to you about this, this through line all across scripture, where those who have been blessed became a blessing. Those who experienced God begin to share God with the world. And you are here today, you are a worshiper online somewhere today, because someone who experienced the good news, the saving news of Jesus, decided to not keep it to themselves, but to share it with you. Maybe they shared it with your parents. Maybe they shared it with a friend who shared it with you. But someone shared what they experienced. And this is how the Christian movement, by the power of the Spirit, has expanded to, to, to continents all across the world in this ebb and flow of experience and share. But there are some things in our life that we have experienced that we find words inadequate to explain. Some inexplainable experiences. This happens to you all the time with Stacey. Uh, when I go to an amazing meeting or a service or a retreat, or I have a fascinating lunch conversation with a member, and I get home so excited to share with my lovely wife what I have just experienced. And I'm so excited, and I begin to stutter. And I begin to make up words, and I begin to go blank in my mind, and I make no sense whatsoever. And Stacey, every time, she sort of scratches her head, and she says... I don't know how you communicate for a living. I just don't know. <laughs> to which I respond, well, you just had to have been there. I can't explain the experience that I just had. But there's something in us that makes an experience incomplete if it's not shared. 
right? And that human need inside of all of us is what gives social media long-term security. It's like your vacation isn't complete unless you post pictures online. Like this week, you probably have been bombarded with first day of school pictures, and part of that is my fault. I've been posting pictures all week of kids you might have not even known because we just want to share what we are experiencing. Well, there's anything that we've experienced that words are inadequate for. It is the love of Jesus. If anything we've experienced that words can't quite explain, it is the love of Jesus. In fact, the love of Jesus is the inexplainable experience that changes a person. God's love, Christ's love deeply transforms, deeply changes us from the inside out. And words just aren't adequate to explain it. Perhaps you think of different adjectives to explain the love of Jesus. And sooner or later, you realize I'm out of adjectives. And I still got more to say about the love of Jesus. Maybe you look at different moments in your life, in your story, where his love was so pronounced, and you lose track. You begin to think, I've run out of fingers and toes to count how many times he's been so good to me. Maybe you, like me, think about all of the difference that the love of Jesus has made in your life. And then you come to the conclusion, everything is different. Everything is drastically different because his love has deeply penetrated the core of our being in a way that changes us. The love of Jesus is the inexplainable experience that changes a person. Now, when we think about our basic human needs, we often think about our physical needs like food, shelter, and clothing. But study after study has shown us there is a deeper need than physical needs. It's the need of our soul. There are deep emotional needs that a human being has that's greater than any physical provisions we can experience. And one of the most prominent needs of your soul, my soul, is to love and to be loved. To love and to be Loved. If a person has millions of dollars in homes and all the physical provisions they can ever experience, but they lack someone to love or someone that loves them, their life feels pretty empty. Because that is the deep need of our soul, to love and to be loved. A child, an infant within the first six months of their life determines how they will interact with the whole world for a long time based on whether they feel loved or neglected. It frames their worldview of experiencing and sharing love. An adult, based on how loved they feel or neglected they feel, has long-term consequences, good or bad. If an adult feels isolation and loneliness and a lack of love, it has deeply coincided with long-term chronic illness, mental and physical. We have a deep soul need to love and to be loved. So it is a deep human need in all of us, but yet in our culture, in our world, love is the most misunderstood word in the world, isn't it? People have so many notions of what love is. It is so misunderstood in our world. Our world teaches that love is instant, but the Bible teaches that love is patient. This world teaches that love is self-focused and self-centered, but Jesus teaches that that love is other-centered and others-focused. The culture will teach us that love is physical, merely physical. But God teaches us that love is sacrificial. It is deeply giving a way of life for one another. In our culture today, to love somebody is to fully accept, embrace, 
thoughts and worldviews and lifestyles, no matter what they may be, because to challenge is to confront or to offend. But actually, God's love challenges us. It changes us. It causes us to radical obedience, even in the ways that we may not like it. Our culture will give us permission to stop loving as soon as we prefer not to love somebody. But the Bible says that love is not a feeling, it's a decision. It's a choice. In fact, we're called to love people we may not even like. That is biblical love. So in a time where the deepest human need is love, yet what we have most misunderstood is love, we must return to God's word about what God says about this love that has deeply transformed us and deeply changed our life. And in order to do that, we're going to go to the book of 1 John chapter 4. So if you've got God's word in print or digitally, I invite you to turn there with me to 1 John chapter 4. Now John the disciple is writing 1 John. And John is a person who has been drastically impacted, transformed by the love of Jesus. In fact, John identifies himself multiple times as a disciple that Jesus loved. It sort of sounds braggish, you know, like uh, you being arrogant by saying you were one of Jesus' favorites. But I think what John is saying is that Jesus loved even me. He loved even me. See, before John began to walk with Jesus and experience the love of Jesus, John was a hot-tempered man. In one moment, he wanted to call down fire on an entire village who didn't let him spend the night there. You think your husband's got anger issues? John had deep anger issues. He wanted to call down fire on an entire village. John is called one of the sons of thunder. There's a moment where Jesus makes a profound statement about his death, and John is arguing about whether he or his brother will get to sit at his right and his left. But John, when he met Jesus, when he experienced the love of Jesus, he is totally transformed. So at the end of his life, when he's writing these words, he's looking back at how the love of Jesus changed everything about him. John writes more than any other scripture writer on the love of Christ. In fact, would we stand together? Could we stand together and read this beautiful definition and explanation together of the love of Jesus? Reading from 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 onwards. Let's read this together. Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us, and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we remain in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit, and we have seen and we testify that the Father has sent his Son as the world's Savior. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God remains in him and he in God. And we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And the one who remains in love remains in God. And God remains in him. In this love is made complete with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. 
Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in love. We love because he first loved us. Amen? Amen. You may be seated. Thanks be to God for his word. It's beautiful when the church reads the powerful word of God together. In a world so confused about what love is, John makes two emphatic statements that define God's love for us. And the first emphatic statement that John makes in a world looking for love in all the wrong places is that God is love. God is love. So to define love, you must begin with God. Love is not external to God. God doesn't just produce love or show love. No, it is the very essence of his being. To be God is to be loving. God is loving. You can't do anything. He cannot do anything but be loved because that is the essential nature of God. Even before God created humanity as the object of his love, God was loving. There was a perfect bond of love shared within the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Spirit. The Father glorifying the Son, the Son glorifying the Father, the Spirit exalting the Son and the Father. It was a beautiful bond of love within the triune Godhead. And it was out of the overflow of God's love that humanity was created. You and I, all of humanity, created as the object of God's affection, his delight, his love. God was not coerced to creating humanity. He was not forced. He was not obliged to. No, out of the abundance of the triune Godhead, where love is overflowing, you were created. Listen to me. You are not an accident. You are not an afterthought. No matter when you got here, how you got here, you did not come about through some cosmic evolution. Love created you. God, on purpose, out of the abundance of love, created you, and he created me. We were created out of the abundance of love. Why? Because God is love. Everything he does is loving. Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve experienced the perfections of God in the garden, the perfections of his love. No gap, no distance, beautifully enjoying the love of God until sin disrupted the story twisting our affections. Although God's love remained persistent, we began to grow distant. Our arrow of affection turned inward towards us and away from God. And in doing so, there began to be a distance of how we experienced the love of God. Though he still loved us, we grew distant from him. And because God is love and we are made in the image of God, meaning we are made for his love, made to be loved by him and to love him, the further we got from God, the deeper the void of love in our heart. The deeper this need in our soul began to grow deep within us because we were distant from God's love. And here's what Blaise Pascal, the 17th century theologian, writes. What else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim but that there was once in man a true happiness of which all that now remains is the empty print and trays. This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there, the help he cannot find in those that are. Though none can help, since this infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object. In other words, by God himself. 
Pascal is referring to that God-sized void in the heart of every human being. A deep need to love and to be loved because we are made in God's image who is love. And we often look for love in every other place, in every other person, in every other thing, in every other entertainment, whatever it may be, but we are left restless because this deep void in the human heart can only be filled by God because he, by definition, is love. Augustine said the same thing in his confessions. Augustine said it like this, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Are you feeling restless? Are you wandering for real, eternal, true love? Love has a name, his name is Jesus. God is love. And the bad news is that you will never find true love until you meet God. But the good news is he freely opens his heart to you so that his love becomes the inexplainable experience that drastically, deeply transforms every human being. All because God is love. John goes on further in 1 John 4 to show us how God is love. First of all, John will say that God's love paid the ultimate price. God doesn't just love with words. His love paid the ultimate price. You know the depth of a person's love by how much they are willing to freely give up things for you. And here John says, God gave everything for you. John says in 1 John 4, 9, God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son. It's only begotten, the one he deeply loved. He sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. God's love cost him everything. It cost him his son that he was eternally bonded, united with in love. But for you, his children, he made as the object of his love. Though he stayed loving us and we grew distant, God says, I cannot be but love. So I'm giving it all up. Giving my son, sending my son to be the sacrifice of love. In this, John says, is God's love revealed. God sent his son. See, we often try to define God's love by our circumstances, but God defines his love by the cross. We define God's love by how good our circumstances are, how well God has answered our prayers our way. But God says, look to the cross as the ultimate definition of love. Here is how love is revealed. Here is how the goodness, the kindness of God is revealed. He sent Jesus to go to the cross for you and for me. Paul says in Ephesians 5, verse 1 to 2, Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children and walk in love as Christ also loved us. And what did he do? He gave. He gave himself for us, a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. God's love was costly. His love paid the ultimate sacrifice for you so that he who was without sin became sin so that you could be made right with God. He who did no wrong, who did no wrongs, would take upon all of the wrongs of humanity so we could be brought into this right standing with God. God is love. And he shows us that by paying the ultimate price. Second of all, John says that God is love because God's love precedes our response. It precedes our response. Notice verse 10. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, 
but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. The word atoning sacrifice speaks of the brutality of the cross, the pain, the agony, the humiliation that Jesus, the sinless lamb of God, went through all the way to the cross where he would hang on an old rugged cross painfully beaten and humiliated so that by his perfect sacrifice, you could be made one with God, atoned, made one with God. But here's what John says. It's not because we love God that he did it. It's not because we followed God that he did it. No, it's not that we love God, but that he loved us. His love went first. His love precedes our response. His love precedes our repentance. His love precedes even our obedience and loving him back. It's his love that went first. While we were still sinners, Paul says in Romans 5.8. While we were still sinners. This is how God proved his love for us. In that while we were still sinners. While we were still running from God. While we were still rebellious. While we were still Wrecking our lives by pursuing our own passions and desires. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the gospel. His love precedes our response. I tell couples in premarital counseling, that the love of God that we are called to embody in marriage is not an if-then love, but an even-if love. Culture is built around if-thens. If you do this, then I do that. But imagine if God's love was framed through if-thens. We would never make it. We would be forever hopeless. But God does not love us on the basis of an if-then contract, but on the basis of an even-if covenant. Even if, while we were still sinners, even if you turn from me, even if you never respond to me, I still love you because it's not that we love God, but he loved us. His love precedes your response. God is love and that he paid the ultimate sacrifice. He is love and that his love went first. He preceded our response And third, John does speak of a response from us that comes next. Because God's love produces glad obedience. Oh yes, it does. It produces glad glad obedience. Sometimes I think we have this misconception that because God loves us unconditionally and his love precedes our response, we never need to respond. We never need to obey. We never need to follow the truth of who he is. But actually, that's not the case at all. His love comes first But his love produces glad obedience. Not begrudging obedience, but glad obedience. See, religion will say, obey first so that you can earn God's love. But the power of the gospel is because God loves you. He produces deep, glad obedience within us. John says it like this in 1 John chapter 5, verse 3. For this is what love for God is, to keep his commands. And his commands are not a burden. Because everyone who has been born of God conquers the world. This is the victory that conquered the world, our faith. Here's what love for God is. Following his commands, obeying his commands. And it's not a burdensome command. It's joy. It's gladness because it's good for you. It's good for me. Stacey and I are unpacking and settling into the new house and putting up fixtures and putting together furniture. Let me tell you, it's a loving thing when the manufacturer gives you good instructions. 
It is. It is not loving nor kind to give you minimal instructions or no instructions. We would be totally lost if we had to figure it all out on our own. Thank God for YouTube University. You can just go online and search anything. You can find what to do. But we would be lost without instructions. In the same way, God is loving and giving guidance, and giving instruction, and giving commands. Because it's good for us. It allows us to experience life as he designed it to be. It allows us to walk in the best relationship with the world, with one another, with him, as we follow his commands. His commands are not oppressive. It's not a dirty word. It is life. It is joy. And he invites us to follow him. Now, in the old covenant, God gave commands, but people were unable to keep them because we were left to follow his commands on our own. And we failed miserably generation after generation. But in the new covenant, God doesn't just give us his instructions. He doesn't just give us his commands. He gives us his spirit. 24-7 helper. Better than customer service. 24-7. The very God who authored these commands and the God who wrote these scriptures gives us his spirit. Through him, we gladly live. Through him, we follow his commands. That's why John actually says in 1 John 4, 13, he remains in us and we remain in him because he has given us his spirit. So you don't have to muster up enough self-power and determination. His spirit has been given to you so that you can live through him. Oh, we gladly obey because his spirit rejuvenates. He strengthens. He convinces. He convicts us to follow Jesus because it's good for us. This is all a part of God's love. He is love because he paid the ultimate price. He is love because his love preceded your response and my response. And the response to love is glad obedience. And his love does that. Cultivates glad, joyful obedience in following Jesus. Now that's the first emphatic statement that John makes. God is love. And there is a second one that follows. Now hang on to your seats for this one. So we love the fact that God is love. But there is a second statement that John makes. And here it is. There can be no loveless Christian. There can be no loveless Christian. Because to experience his love is to share his love. To receive it is to give it. A loveless Christian is an oxymoron. Why? Because children of God, Christians, have been born of God who is love. Which means, if you've been born of God who is love, Christians then are loving. They can't help but be loving. Here's what John says across this chapter in 1 John 4. Verse 7, dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God. 1 John 4, 11. John says, the one, sorry, verse 8, the one who does not love does not know God because God is love. That's a bit harsh, isn't it? The one who does not love does not know God. Our knowledge of God is not memory of Scripture or our ability to articulate theology. John says the measure of knowing God is equal to the measure of your love. The one who does not love actually hasn't been around God. Because if they had, this love would have rubbed off on him and they would have been empowered, inspired by the Spirit to follow the very nature of God, which is love. 
To know God is to love God. First John 4, 11, John goes on. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, he paid the price, he preceded our response, cultivates glad obedience. If this is how God loves us, we also must love one another. Implied in the same way. Verse 19, John says in 1 John 4, we love because he loved us. We love because he loved us. Meaning if he loved us, we can't help but love. This is the same thing that we talked about last week. As people who experienced God shared him, they couldn't help but share him. And those who experienced God's love, John says, immediately as a natural response of experiencing his love, give it away. They love one another. They love non-believers. They love believers. They are patient. They love in this way because God is love. To know God is to overflow from the depths of your heart with the love of Jesus. So we are called to love in a way that costs us because we have been loved in a costly way. Everything was given up for us. So we gladly delight in God's love and we share God's love. We love in a way that is patient with people because we have been patient by God. He was so patient with us. We love in a way where we consistently love even if people do not respond to our love because God's love for us preceded our response. We love people enough to walk in their messes with them, to walk with them in relationship and to disciple people. Even if they never get it right, we walk with people because we know that God's love is cultivating deep obedience, not just in us, but in those around us. It is all a part of loving God. We experience this love and we gladly share this love. The writer of Hebrews in chapter one speaks of all of the nature of God being personally, specifically embodied in his son, including the nature of love. Hebrews 1, verse 1 to 3 reads like this. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. The sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact expression of his nature. And sustaining all things by his powerful word, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. The writer of Hebrews is saying, God spoke to us through the prophets. He spoke to us through angels and different means across the pages of history. But in these last days, the ultimate and final word is his son. Jesus, his son, is the final word from God. And in fact, God has embodied all of the nature of God in the person of Jesus. God's invisible attributes, his nature is all totally wrapped up in his son. So that when we see his son, Jesus, we have a personal and specific definition of the nature of God. In fact, all of the glories of the Father are embodied in his son, Jesus. Meaning that if God is love, Jesus, the Son of God, shows us the nature of God's love. Jesus brings God's eternal love to be personal to you, to be specific to you. And he becomes the perfect, personal, and specific definition of God's love. Jesus, when he healed the sick, he was loving them and setting people free. Jesus, when he brought sinners close to him, the poor, the marginalized, the ostracized, he was loving them. Jesus, when he taught with authority, clarifying God's will, his way, he was loving us, showing us who the Father is. 
Jesus being so patient with his disciples was embodying the love of the Father. All the way to the cross where Jesus would go to Calvary, stretching his arms wide as he's nailed to the cross, his feet nailed to the cross. He's saying, this is how much I love you. Because this is how much the Father loves you. Jesus is a personal, specific embodiment of all the love of God. So far today, what I hope you've heard me say, so we are called in this life of experiencing and sharing. God is love. We have a need to be loved and to love. The world still lacks feeling love because much of the world has still experienced Jesus, the personal and specific definition of God's love. Yet God invites this church to share this incredible love with the world. God is love and there can be no loveless Christian. Over the last many decades at Bentry, there have been amazing statements that have defined our mission, our vision, all still true today and will be forever what defines our church. Amazing statements of mission and vision. Call to make disciples, to love people with this extraordinary love of Jesus. Over the last few months, our staff have been thinking through how can we compile some of these statements and put it in the most simple, succinct way that we can inspire and mobilize our church body. How do we bring our mission and vision together into this one simple statement that even a kindergarten age student can tell their friends about when they think about Bentry? Not to pack in all that we are, but to give enough as a launching pad to cast vision and be true to scripture of who we are called to be. Today, I want to offer you sort of a new mission statement, a new clarion call, whatever you want to call it, this invitation to be this kind of a church, to be actively pursuing this lifestyle as a church, as a local church at Bentry Bible Fellowship. All these words are already familiar to you because they're part of the last vision and mission statement, but we really wanted a simple statement that would help cast vision for who we are as a church body. Now, normally when I tease through a mission statement or a vision statement, we would start with the actual statement and go word by word. But today I just wanted to begin with scripture and talk about the nature of God, the purpose of the church, and how Jesus invites us to his global mission in the world. So today I want to offer you this mission statement. In the next two weeks, we're going to see how we as a church live this out collectively. How all the ministries and programs at Bentry allow us to do this Simple statement together. So church, here's our mission. Here's why we exist. We exist. Our mission is to experience and share the love of Jesus. To experience and share the love of Jesus. We experience, we share. We receive, we give. We breathe in, we breathe out. This is the spiritual rhythm of his body. A church body, a person, a collective community experiencing, sharing his love with the world. Now, I know you're thinking, well, where's the rest of it? That sounds pretty simple. Is there a semicolon or a comma or something? Actually, every word is deeply, profoundly layered with theology, doctrine, and action. To experience is to believe, is to surrender. To experience is to be deeply transformed. It is to gladly obey. To experience is worship like this with brothers and sisters collectively experiencing the amazing love of Jesus. To experience is to be discipled. It is to grow in his word, to grow in relationship with one another. To experience is to surrender because that's what God's love does for us. 
To share is to be on mission, to actively, passionately share Jesus and his love with the world. To share his good news to a broken and dark world. To be on mission, to go to the ends of the earth, to grow to our communities, your workplaces, because we don't just want to experience them in settings like this. We want to be sent as people who gladly share this amazing love with the world. To share is to, to serve in ministries at Bentry and to give financially of our resources so that the world can taste the love of Jesus. To share his love is to disciple somebody else and to pour in one-on-one. Saying, God, we want to see glad obedience cultivated all throughout our life as a church because it is what love demands of us and calls us to. To share and experience the love of Jesus is to share and experience his truth. Because love cannot be void of truth. True love is truthful. So we claim the truth of Jesus, the exclusive truth of who Jesus is, and his invitation to the world to share his love is to offer our whole life as the incarnate presence of Jesus, following him and inviting the world to follow him. We are called to experience and share his love. As you're thinking, maybe you're thinking, well, What about love sets love apart from other qualities of God? Because just as God is love, he is holy, he is powerful, he is glorious. You can go on and on. And all those are amazingly true. But here's why. Jesus elevated love to be the primary marker of his church. Jesus did that. You remember in the upper room, Jesus is there breaking bread, having the cup. And he begins to wash the disciples' feet, a thing that not even the lowest slave in that day would do. Jesus gets to Judas' betrayer and still washes his feet. Why? Because love precedes our response. And Jesus, after doing so, he gave his followers a new command. And Jesus said this in John 13, verse 34 to 35. I give you a new command. Love one another. Now, that command isn't new. You can find that in Leviticus. But there are six words in this new command that make this new. Love one another just as I have loved you. That makes it radically different. As you've experienced my love, love one another. As you've experienced this kind of a love, one that washes the feet of a betrayer, love one another. You are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. What set the followers of Jesus was not just what they believed, but how they loved. This drove the Romans crazy. How do they behave in such a love that is sacrificial, self-giving? It's because they mirrored the love of Jesus for the world. As I've loved you, love one another. Jesus in that new command gives us both the power and the pattern for life, ministry, and ultimately our love. The power is just as I have loved you. Because you have been loved by Jesus, you can love a hostile, a strange world. Because Jesus loved That's the power. But that is also the pattern. How do we love? Just as Jesus loved. So we experience and we share the love of Jesus. Because we have experienced it, we can't but share. But once we've experienced it, we must share this love actively with the world. In fact, the early apostles were set apart by this command of Jesus. In fact, in the writings of the New Testament, they elevate the love of Jesus as a primary motivation for love, for life, and for ministry. Romans 13, verse 8, Paul said it like this, Do not owe anyone anything except to love one another. For the one who loves one another has also fulfilled the law. 
Peter says this in 1 Peter 4, 8, above everything, above all, be committed to this one thing, love one another deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Sometimes we think experiencing and sharing love is passive, but my friend, it is so active. It is what compels us. I think about the Apostle Paul, the greatest missionary perhaps in the world who changed the landscape of church planting and missions and brought the gospel to the Gentiles. He offered himself freely for the sake of the gospel, no matter the price. But what is it that compelled him? What is it that motivated him? What is it that drove him to give everything for Jesus? Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, I'm sorry, 5, 2 Corinthians 5, for Christ's love compels us. It's his love that compels us. It's his love that gives a sense of urgency for mission, conviction for mission. It's his love because we are convinced Meaning we've experienced, we're convinced that the one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves. You can't just experience it. You can't just live it for yourself. But for him who died for them and was raised again. Paul is saying we're convinced we've experienced this love where one died for all. So now we share our life. We live for those who have yet to experience this transformative love of Jesus. Love deeply compels us. Paul would say, love saved me and love sent me. Love saves me and love sends me. It compels me to offer my life fully for the sake of the gospel. So why do we exist? What did Jesus say is the marker, the nature, the mission of the church? Yes, we make disciples of all nations. And we do that when we experience and share the love of Jesus. That is the flywheel of revival. When you experience this truth, you share it. When you experience this power of love, you share it. When you experience this transformative power and you come to the realization, I cannot keep this, this to myself. It is too good. This inexplainable experience, we must invite the world into it so that they too are transformed by such a love. If you were to be honest, like most Christians, we are more prone to experience the love of Jesus than we are to share the love of Jesus. We are prone to experience it in settings like this, in small groups, and Bible studies, more than we are to share it. So in October to November, for six weeks, we're going to be diving into what does it look like for us to live as a sent people who actively daily share the love of Jesus. In fact, there's a book that we're going to be going through. Our whole church is going to be going through it. Fully immersed in scripture about our core identity as a sent people. Jesus said, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. I'm sending you to your workplaces, your neighborhoods, your families. You are a sent person. Child, student, senior adult, young adult, wherever you are in the stage of life, you are a sent people given the love of Jesus to share with the world. So for six weeks, it's going to be a sermon, but it's going to be much more than a sermon series. We're going to be inviting all of us in our church to go through the study of being a sent people. All of our sermons are going to be studying together this book. All of our groups are going to be studying deeply what it means to be a sent people. So here's what I'm asking. Pray about how you can join one of our groups. If you're not already in a group, join a sent group for six weeks starting in October. You can sign up right after the service. We want to get all of our people connected in somewhere. So we're going to be launching a whole new set of groups for six weeks. And a lot of them will meet on campus during the Sunday services so that you can easily connect in a group, discover our identity as a sent people. So that means we need new group leaders. 
So if you're in a group or wanting to lead a group or maybe not yet connected in a group, but you feel the Holy Spirit tugging you to lead six weeks a group, we invite you to sign up to be a sent leader. Because when the thousands of us who call Bentry home live our lives as sent people, disciples are made and the world will be transformed. When we experience his love, his transformative love, and we offer our lives to share it with the world, the world is changed. Because Jesus' love alone is an inexplainable experience that changes people. Would you pray with me? God, I'm aware that there may be some in this room who have yet to experience this love. This love that is truthful, that is challenging, but a love that precedes our response. Today, wherever we are, may we be drawn to this incomprehensible love that began long before we did. This love that sent Jesus to pay the ultimate sacrifice. This love that while we were still sinners, still running from you, gave it all away. And today may be the day that our response is joyfully given to a love that preceded that. Their hearts are turning to Jesus. Faith is placed in Christ alone for new life. A life full of the love of Jesus. A love that is truthful. A love that disciples. A love that stays in the story. That isn't afraid of the darkness or the mess. Because we who have known God and his love can't help but share it with the world. So help us, God, to be a church Daily committed, weekly committed, no matter where we are, what we're doing in relationships, in workplaces, in communities, to be identified as those group of people who seem to have experienced a love that they can't help but share with the world. We love you. We thank you. Thank you for first loving us, for saving us. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church said, amen. Amen. Join us the next couple of weeks as we unpack this further. And what is the strategy of our church as we live out this mission? We invite you to join us for Lunch and Learn, to grow and know how you can serve here in our ministry. God bless you. We'll see you back next Sunday.